Our scripture reading today is from uh, the Psalms. It's uh, Psalm 91, and normally you would see us read the scripture in one language and post it in the other two languages, like there's only three languages, but you know what I mean, uh, on the screen. So today, though, what we're going to do is there's one of us who is going to read in Papiamento, and one of us who's going to read in Dutch, and I'm going to read in English. And we're just going to proceed through the psalm one stanza at a time. So uh, you can follow us in the language of your choice. Some of you can follow us in all three languages. You get to hear it three times. Lucky you. Psalm 91. <laughs> Den sombra de Dios omnipotente. Visa, Señor, mi refugio, mi forte, mi Dios, ten quien de mi tapone mi confianza. Wie in de beschutting van de Allerhoogste woont, in de overnacht in de schaduw van de onzagwekkende, zegt tegen de Heer: Mijn toevlucht, mijn vestig, mijn vesting, mijn God, op u vertrouw ik. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Pastora eta libravo por di cui di mochado. Tatene voleu por di pastor fatal. Lo ecubrivo cusu alanan bau dinan botasigur. Su fieldad lo tapavo un escudo y un harnas. Hij bevrijdt je uit het net van de vogelvanger en redt je uit de dodelijke pest. Hij zal je beschermen met zijn vleugels. Onder zijn wieken vind je een toevlucht. Zijn trouw is een veilig schild. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Bonotin mester di tene miedo di peligar di anoche, ni di ningun flecha cu porbula den dia, ni di pester cu tarronde den ora di tiniebla, o di plaga mortal cu ta cohebo merdia. De beschrikking van de nacht hoef je niet te vrezen, ook de pijl niet die overdag op je afvliegt, nog de pest die rondwaant in het donker, nog de plaag die toeslaat midden op de dag. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Ni mas que mil gente caibana digo, y diez mil nabomandrechi, nada lo cohebo. Solamente habri wowo y miraron, con pecadonan tahayanan castigo. Al vallan er duizend aan je linkerzijde en tienduizend aan je rechterhand. Jou zal niets overkomen. Open je ogen en zie hoe het kwaad doen worden gestraft. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Como bayama, Señor, mi refugio, y abais conde cerca Dios Altísimo, ningún desgracia lo no llega cerca vos. Ningún plaga no lo llega a botent. 
U bent mijn toevlucht, Heer. Als, mag, als je mag wonen bij de Allerhoogste, zal het kwaad je niet bereiken. Geen plaag je tent ooit zal treffen. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Sobre él amando su ángel lang guardabo unda tu botabay. Na lo cargabo den nang man, pabo no dalbo pilla contra piedra. Riba lejun y colebra, lo bocana y trapa yud lejun y dragón. Hij vertrouwt je toe aan zijn engelen, die over je waken waar je ook gaat. Hun handen zullen je dragen, je voet zul je niet stoten aan een steen. Leeuw en adder zullen je vertrappen, roofdier en slang vermorsen. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Si etenen a mi, lo me salve, lo me halse. Si etin respect pa mi nombre, ora e llamami, lo me conteste. Den problema mi ta junto con él, lo mi libre y colme con honor. Mi ta pone disfrutar de un vida largo y lo lagué contemplar mi salvación. Ik zal bevrijden wie mij lief heeft en beschermen wie met mijn naam vertrouwd is. Roep je mij, roep je mij aan, ik geef antwoord. In de nood zal ik bij je zijn, je bevrijden en met roem overladen. Je overvloed geven van dagen. Ik zal je redding zijn. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I thought it would be uh, appropriate today to uh, take a little break from our study through the book of John and uh, to, to uh, just talk about uh, how we as Christians should uh, respond or think about or deal with uh, trouble in this world. And uh, so I thought it would be good to look at uh, James chapter 2, I mean chapter 1, <laughs> verse 2, and we're going to look at verses uh, 2 through 8. So I just want to read that to begin with. You know, the Bible, it's often upside down from the way we think. And uh, so listen to what James has to say about, uh, well, when we face hard times. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The uh, opening statement of this uh, text is, Count it all joy. Or I like a different translation that says, Consider it pure joy. When you meet trials or testing, this word trials is also used uh, for temptation. I think in every hard time, there's a temptation. We'll be talking some more about that. When you meet trials of all kinds, you know there's all kinds of trials in this world. Right now, the whole wide world is dealing with one specific uh, difficulty, uh, disease that just kind of shows up in the world without any announcement or warning. But you know, even before that disease showed up in all of our lives in one way or another, we were still having some troubles, I think, if I remember correctly. In fact, in the town where I'm from, just at the same time, when the just before we all got super aware of the coronavirus, they had some tornadoes come through and uh, destroy property, take lives. There's all kinds of trials. This is one of them but they uh, go on and on all the time. Some people have health issues that last their whole lives. Uh, some people have uh, uh, financial problems. Some people have relationship problems in their families or all kinds of struggle. How much sense does it make for the Scripture, the very Word of God, to say, consider that pure joy. I think it's important that he says, count it all joy, my brothers. And he's not talking to anyone and everyone. He's talking to people who have trusted in Christ, people who know the Savior, uh, people who have faith. But we've got some things to think about when the Bible says, consider it joy when you meet all these different kinds of trouble. So I just have a few things in there in that uh, the note section in the bulletin we sent out for you. When the world goes bad, it tests our faith. He says in the next verse here, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when we face various trials, if we do know Christ, we're facing a test, a test of our faith. So when the world goes bad, it tests our faith. Well, we know this, right? When I'm having trouble, 
that's when I start to wonder if God's still in charge of things, isn't it? Is he taking care of me like he promised? You know, the Bible does promise that, that God is our Father who is always taking care of us perfectly all the time. So even when something bad is happening in my life, when I'm facing a difficult circumstance, the promise is God is good. God is good all the time. And when we say God is good, God is good all the time, we only have to say all the time because it doesn't seem that way all the time. It's a test where we continue to trust God as our Father, the one who is taking care according to his word with a wisdom that exceeds our own. When the world goes bad, it tests our faith, but when the world goes bad, God is still good. How do I know that? How do I know that? Well, we've been talking about this in recent weeks. I know God is still good because Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. That when Lazarus died, Jesus participated in our grief over sin and death. He wasn't a distant God. He was a show-up God. He shows up, and he deals with our troubles, and he understands our tests and the trials we face every day because we live in a fallen, broken world and a fallen, broken society. He's not unfamiliar with that. He lived in it himself. He suffered himself. I know God is still good because Jesus lived in perfect righteousness in the same sick world that we're living in. And he did it by always trusting the Father by the power of the Spirit. Jesus walked by faith in the Father. Perfect faith all the time. Jesus is called the pioneer of our faith. He is not the pioneer of our faith because he invented our faith. He is the pioneer of our faith because he leads us in faith. He was a man of faith. He trusted in the Father at all times. And that is how he endured the trials of this world, even the trial of the cross. I know that when the world goes bad, God is still good because Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love for us. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still God's enemies, still in rebellion against God, Christ gave his life a sacrifice for sin. God is taking care of us, and I know he is, because if he can give his son, there's nothing he would withhold. I know that even when the world goes bad, God is still good. Because I know, as the scripture says, all things work together for the benefit of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what is that benefit 
All things work together for good. That's that famous verse from Romans 8, verse 28. But you know what the scripture in verse 29 tells us what the benefit is. It's not to be rich or to be free from disease or to never uh, experience trouble in this world. It's to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, the best thing that could happen to you is that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. The best thing that you could be is to be like Christ. And that day when he returns and we see him as he is, what is the transformation that occurs? It's not that we uh, get cured of, well, we do get cured of everything that day, but that's not the benefit. The benefit is we become like him because we see him as he is. The best thing to be is to be a human being the way Jesus is a human being. And God causes everything that happens to work together toward that goal in the life of his children. That is the good <laughs> that God is always doing us, even using the trouble the bad things that happen in the world around us. I also know that when the world goes bad, God is still good because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, yet shall he live. If I die, I don't die. If you are in Christ and you die, you don't die. And we have the promise of the resurrection that one day even our bodies will be restored to life. We will be fully embodied human beings living in the earth, living in perfect humanity, just as Christ is now. We have the promise of the resurrection. So we know that even when the world goes bad, God is still good. Here's the way I want to summarize this, this whole idea. My, my immediate situation, you know, the situation I'm in on this world, the one I can see, my visible situation, it has all kinds of trouble in it, and so does yours. But my situation I can see, my immediate situation, is not my ultimate situation. You see, if I'm in Christ, I have a situation around what I can see. There's a little circle of trouble around me, and there's a big circle of grace around that. There's a huge, omnipotent, omniscient, all-loving God who has given his Son a sacrifice for my sin who has restored fellowship with me in Christ by his Spirit, and that is another situation, the big situation that I'm in. And even, God says, even this smaller situation that I see around me every day is taking place in the context of God's provision, God's grace, God's love. God's daily care, and he's taking all those troubles and weaving them for my good. You see, the scripture says here that testing of faith produces steadfastness, 
And I want to ask, steadfastness of what? And I think it means steadfast faith. Testing faith makes sticking faith. Solid faith, persistent faith, faith that sticks with it, faith that waits out the hard time, trusting the promise of God's word, trusting that God's wisdom is greater than mine, that God's vision is total and absolute and mine is limited. So God knows and I don't. God loves me more than even I love myself. I know that because of the death of Christ. And so when God tests our faith, what God is doing is strengthening our faith. God does not test the faith of any believer in order to cause their faith to fail. He, causes, he tests our faith in order to make our faith more solid. And that's what he says here. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfast faith is seeing through my immediate situation, the test, and paying attention to my ultimate situation. So I pay, I, I don't have any trouble paying attention to the coronavirus. I'm here preaching to an empty room. But I do have trouble remembering to pay attention to my ultimate situation, the grace of God operating in my life, the promise of resurrection. That's why we come to church every Sunday, to look at each other in the eye, to shake hands, and to remember the love of Christ, and to share it with each other. Steadfast faith is seeing through that immediate situation and paying attention to my ultimate situation, my redemption by the blood of Christ. It reminds me of that song, Christ is Enough. Christ is enough for me. This is a time when we we got to notice that. We have to notice Christ is enough. There's another song, The Solid Rock, has one of my favorite lines in any song. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And the world (laughs) operates in the sinking sand. We stand on the rock. Christ is enough. And we will go through periods in life whether it's from this or some other trouble that we face, where that idea will be challenged. What if you don't have anything but Christ? Christ is enough. The steadfast faith that testing produces is the kind of faith that endures the cross and looks for the resurrection. Hebrews chapter 12 (laughs) talks about Jesus. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was the joy of the resurrection, the joy of leading all of us in that resurrection. That was the sort of faith Jesus had. Jesus did not have an untested faith. Jesus had a tested faith, and he had a faith that always perfectly passed the test. And so he endured the cross and looked for the resurrection. In Philippians chapter 4, you, uh, you read this, another you know, crazy statement about joy, where uh, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And you want to say, when you read something like that, you want to say, really? 
Always? Always? Yeah. How is that? Well, it's in the Lord. I don't know of any other way you can always rejoice. And he's also noticing to look past the immediate situation and see the big situation, which is God's love and grace. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing is important. <laughs> Let your reasonableness be shown to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, that's a hard one to obey, isn't it? How do I not be anxious about anything? I look past the immediate situation and look at the ultimate situation. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the kicker. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that passes understanding is a powerful witness. So when we're operating in the world today, when everybody is disturbed and troubled and worried, we have the peace that passes understanding. And it's a question of, do we rejoice in the Lord? You're going to look a little bit crazy if you're rejoicing in the Lord these days. And when you look a little bit crazy and people say, are you crazy? You can say, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, even in a time of difficulty. It's not that I don't experience the difficulty, but I know the Savior. So what an opportunity to communicate the good news of salvation in Christ, the good news of God's love and grace uh, that was purchased for us on the cross. James goes on, he says, <clears throat> let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfast faith changes you. <laughs> Steadfast faith has an effect on your character. And he says three things here about the sort of character that trusting God through the test, trusting God has these effects. It will make you perfect. It will make you complete. It will mean you are lacking nothing. Now, does that mean you'll have all the money that you need? It does not. <laughs> it's not talking about the, whether you have a full plate or an empty plate. We know because Paul said, look, I've learned how to be rich, how to be poor, how to have plenty to eat, how to have nothing to eat. He says, I'm content whatever my circumstance. I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. I can go through any trouble or any uh, great rejoicing it doesn't matter because I am in Christ. So lacking nothing here doesn't mean you are always going to be fabulously rich. It means you're not missing any aspect of character that you need. Being perfect means to be fully developed, to be full-grown, mature. So... Steadfast faith produces mature character. Fully developed character. And what kind of character is that? Well, it's a character that trusts God no matter what's happening in this world. 
a character that relies on the fact that God is still good, even if he's letting me endure some difficulty right now. Fully developed, perfect, mature character. And then complete means having everything one needs to be whole, to be intact. So I have a complete body if I have ten fingers. I'm complete. I have all the character qualities that are necessary to operate in my full humanity. And then, as if to emphasize that, I'm lacking nothing. I'm not missing any needed aspect of character. And if we talk about the development of our character, this thing that is produced, that is worked in us by continuing to trust Christ and to continuing to rely on God's goodness, That character is a character that walks with God. It's not a character that operates in its own strength. In other words, God isn't telling us here that if you trust him long enough, you'll be able to go on your own and do what you need to do and have all the character you need. No, he's, he's talking about a character that grows in its dependence upon God. In many ways, it's what... Paul was talking about when he said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I am not relying on my own strength, I realize God's strength in me. And so Christian character is not a operate on its own strong, you know, be, be, your, own, be your own man, be who you are, be all you can be. That is not the character God is, is describing here the perfect, complete, lacking nothing character. No, it's a character that constantly depends on God. That seems weak to the world, but we know better because we are in union with Christ. We have the Spirit. We walk with God. And so we look past this thing that's right around us to the thing that's always around us, and that is God's grace God's love, demonstrated in Christ, purchased for us by Christ, operating in us by the power of the very Holy Spirit of God. Now, it goes right here from lacking nothing to asking this question, if you lack wisdom. (laughs) So he says that steadfast faith will produce this lack of nothing, and then... He says, now, if you lack something, and that something is wisdom. Now, I think I've used up all the time I want to use. So here's what we're going to do. Next time, we're going to talk about that. If you lack wisdom, then what? I don't know about you, but I have felt the lack of wisdom here in the last few days. Here we are, we're dealing with this virus Uh, the whole wide world is trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out what to do with it, and there's lots of different responses and lots of different levels of worry, and some people aren't worried enough, and some people are worried way too hard, and uh, we're all panicking, and, you know, we're all buying up stuff in the grocery store because we're afraid somebody else is going to panic. We're panicking because we're afraid of somebody else panicking. We want to get our panic in right away. We want to be at the front of the panic line. 
have you lacked some wisdom? Knowing what to do, what's the right thing to do, how should you respond? Should you shake somebody's hand or not? That's probably one of the easier questions. What do we do when we know Christ and we feel uh, lost in this world, when we're facing a trouble and we know God's taking care of us, we're trusting God, but we just don't know what to do? That is where we go next time. Father, we, uh, we want to thank you that you are our Father. You're our Abba. Uh, we can come to you with anything at any time. We bring all this to you, Lord. We know none of this has happened outside of your concern or awareness. You are still on the throne. You are still Lord of all. Father, we pray that we would uh, be encouraged by your word to walk in the reality of your grace in our lives, to trust you, that you know what you're doing, to confess that we don't know what we're doing, that we need to rely on you. And most of all, Father, we just give you thanks for our great Savior, the Lord Jesus, who came, who was with us, who gave his life for us. It's a love we can't even fathom. We'll never get to the bottom of it. Lord, we rejoice in it. We celebrate it. We want to trust you. We want to experience the peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, we pray that people we know would be able to see this, that we would have opportunities to uh, share how it is that we can remain calm when the whole world is going crazy. Lord, we just uh, thank you that we <laughs> these days can be together even when we can't be together like we want to be. Lord, I pray for every one of our uh, folks who are out there and all over the world, really. And uh, Lord, some of them are way more close way closer to, uh, to this illness than we are here in Bonaire. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that you would give their minds rest, that all of us would rest in the grace of God in Christ. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit that gives us comfort and helps us to, uh, to see the bigger picture. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.